I'm Jamie Gennaro, and this is Business for Humans. Let's talk about taking your business to a new level without the suits and without being a robot. Here, you can be yourself, you can be imperfect, you can be flawed, and you can still have raging success. So let's go. Well, hello. I'm so excited to be here. This is episode two, and it's juicy. This is a juicy one. I'm super excited about talking about leadership today and essentially what I think are the five parts to being a truly effective leader. I was so excited about recording this podcast today that I didn't take a shower yet. TMI, I'm still in my pajamas. So I'm not recording any video and normally I do, but I'm not because I'm just so excited. I started taking notes this morning and I thought, you know what? I came up with something amazing. So people like to, there's a word for this. And you know, when you have a few languages rattling around in your brain, sometimes you can't think of the word and age, you can't think of the word for things, but there's a word for when you have a bunch of words, and then you take the first letter of each word, and then you turn that into a word. <laughs> Look it up. I don't remember what that's called. Um, but I know that people love to do that. Like, let's take the first letter of each word of this idea of these like five principles of being an effective leader, and then we'll turn it into something. So I turned my <laughs> five words into a word, and it's caca. It's caca with an E. So you'll never forget. And What's funny about that when I started doing that, because I know people love to do that, my five-step process, and it's called the blah, blah, blah method. Well, mine's the caca method. And what's ironic is I think this is the opposite of being a shitty leader. Like this is how you aren't a shitty leader is by following the caca process. So I don't know how people spell caca. Maybe this isn't actually the way you spell it. So it's C-A-C-A-E, caca with an E. Okay. The five things that are super critical to being an effective leader. Compassion. So you need to be compassionate. You need to be assertive, clear, attentive, engaged. So let's go through each one of those, each one of the the caca processes. (laughs) So compassionate. Now, I think with any one of these pieces, any one of these traits, you can take it to the extreme and it will, taking it to the extreme will affect your leadership abilities. It will make you less effective if you take any one of these things too far to the extreme. And I think compassion is one of those things that leaders lean into, especially now. I think we know the value of compassionate leadership. I think if you lean too far into compassion and you lead out of for instance, assertiveness, then you're not doing your team justice. So if you're so compassionate and so worried about everything that's going on with them, that you don't push them, that you don't help them actually reach their full potential, then you're doing them a disservice. Part of your job as a leader, and this is why I also intersperse the word coach in there, or if you think about a mentor, this role is to be um, objective and to look at what's happening with them without 
what we say in the coaching world, without getting in the pool. So you need to look at what's happening in their life with compassion. You need to to recognize them as a whole human. They have a lot going on. We all do. They have a life outside of work. And all of that is of equal importance. Work does not trump life. So the compassion comes with understanding that holistic person. But if you're so worried about, oh no, I just don't think they're going to be able to handle it. I just think they're a little too sensitive right now because of what's going on in their personal life. I think that's getting in the pool with them. And it's not being objective and being that outside observer of what's happening with them and seeing them as a person with great potential. And maybe these things are you know, I want to, this, I'm saying this with like the greatest compassion, but sometimes people use things that are happening in their lives as excuses for not pushing themselves to the next level. So part of your job as a leader is to recognize where and when to be able to push and to stay objective. Compassion, yes. Understanding, yes. Looking at the whole picture, yes. Taking that a little too far and and being overprotective, no, that's where you're not going to be effective. And I will tell you that this is a fine line, and it's it's really difficult for some people. I think every one of these steps, you know, different people have different places to lean in and lean out. And I think it is possible to be compassionate and to also be a helpful driver and helping people recognize that you're limiting yourself let's let's try to get you here now compassion means understanding that that process might take time it might take a different level of effort the compassion is understanding it's not going to look the same for everyone and and there's patience in that but also being willing to understand when it's time to push and when it's time to pull back and, and looking at them with that compassionate lens. So super important, but also to be careful about taking it too far. So compassion, really, really critical. That's the, the first C. Okay, the next one is assertive, assertiveness. This one, I think, is one of the hardest pieces for leaders to develop in a way that really also mixes in with the rest of these traits. So this is one of the things I think that can also get taken to the extreme. So you can have some leaders that are too assertive and some leaders who are too passive. Now, assertiveness to me means you're not avoiding difficult conversations. This is really, really, really critical and key. And I think the sooner you have the difficult conversation, the better. And the better example you're showing to your team. So I want to give an example that's a little different than what you might expect around assertiveness, but I think really brings this idea home and also brings it together with the other pieces. So I had a client talk to me yesterday about, so she's a very senior leader. I mean, she's on the leadership team at at an organization and part of the team that's more client facing than she is, she's not typically client facing, they made a mistake. And this mistake went public, right? So it wasn't like, a oh, we made a mistake internally in our own organization and nobody saw it, no big deal. But this was a mistake that happened 
with a client on one of their projects. And so it went out. Um, and it's not, you know, being seen by millions of people, but it was a mistake that that this team made. And when the senior leader was in a meeting with them, they said, well, we've decided that we're just not going to mention it to the client. We're just going to let this one go. And this woman who's more senior than that team came to me and said, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me because this is a client that we want to have trust in us. And maybe they have their reasons and maybe I don't, I'm not clear on what those reasons are, but to me, it just doesn't feel right. And here's what I'll say about that and, and why I agree with her. She is a senior leader and a senior leader's role is to talk through the reasons that they might have for not talking to the client about it and, le- and helping them understand why it's important. Now, I think my instinct, because I've been with teams in client-facing roles, those conversations are hard. The hardest conversation is when you're admitting that you made a mistake. And we all make mistakes. Every one of us at every level, most senior to most junior, most experienced to least experienced, everyone in between, we all freaking make mistakes. I make mistakes on a daily basis, constantly, all the time. And this is part of the humanness of business. Like we make mistakes, but we have to own them. That's the leadership part. Being assertive about those mistakes, owning them and coming up with solutions for how we're going to get around it. This assertiveness, it might feel counterintuitive or not exactly right, but it really builds trust when you're assertive because people know that you're going to bring the truth forward, that you're going to be willing to discuss it. And this comes with the compassion If you discuss it, if you're assertive in a compassionate way and not in a combative or conflicting way, this is really a critical piece to the assertiveness. It's being direct. It's being honest. It's being forward. It's being um, vulnerable in some ways too. And so this woman that's on the leadership team that noted that this team isn't isn't there yet, it's her responsibility, whether or not she's client-facing, to let this team know that assertiveness is the right way to handle this situation. Come with solutions to your client, but build trust with them, letting them know that like, look, we own our mistakes. We're not going to sweep them under the rug. If you sweep them under the rug, they're going to wonder how many other mistakes you swept under the rug. And when you're a leader and you sweep things under the rug, or you let your team sweep things under the rug, then that behavior continues. And who knows what's hiding under there? And I think this assertiveness comes with growth, right? Like it's hard for you to deliver the information. It's hard for people to receive the information. There's growth on all levels. And this is why I feel like it's such a critical component. Like when I like to mix these ideas of personal growth and business, like this is the one, this is the key. If you have all the other traits of being an effective leader and you don't have this one, you will not be an effective leader period. The assertiveness is so key because it also helps you develop confidence and clarity. And it shows your compassion when you're assertive without being a dick, 
quite frankly. There are ways to be assertive that are not compassionate. And you have to have those two things hand in hand. But assertiveness is honest. When you're assertive, you're not hiding behind something. And it's also proactive because it's recognizing that there's an issue and it's wanting to get to the heart of that issue before it becomes bigger. And that is a key leadership moment. I'm going to nip this in the bud. I'm going to be forward about it. I'm going to get it over with as soon as possible. But you need to have times to practice this assertiveness. Your teams need to have time to practice this assertiveness. It's one of, I think, the hardest things to develop as yourself as a leader. I mean, I've worked with leaders who have been in leadership positions for a long time, and this is still hard for them. It's human nature to want to avoid conflict or avoid things that are difficult, and the growth comes with not avoiding them. So assertiveness is key. It's really the center point of leadership, in my opinion. So clarity. I think clarity goes hand in hand with both assertiveness and compassion. So clarity means preparation. So even in the shortest meetings that you might have during your day, and let's just use one-on-ones as an example. So if you have a weekly one-on-one with a team member, maybe even as short as a half an hour, you can't be effective in that meeting unless you're prepared. So clarity comes with preparation. So you can be clear about your expectations because you've prepared those expectations. So when you are in a situation with a staff member where they're not meeting your expectations, as a leader, you have to first reflect back on yourself. Was I clear? And I think clarity is a two-way street because we might feel like we were clear, (laughs) but the receiver of that information might not have clarity. So it's important to take responsibility for that clarity. So what I like to do, for instance, after a one-on-one is send an email with the bullets of what we talked about. This takes more time. I understand that. This is a critical component of leadership is that you have to make time to be a leader. If you're in the weeds too deep, you're also not going to be effective. So this clarity takes time because you have to follow up. So if you follow up with an email, you might feel like that information is clear. Like, hey, I sent the email, had the bullets, had the five bullet points. But depending on the level of experience of the person receiving that email, and also of like all a whole range of other things. I mean, if you work in an inter- international environment, English might not be their first language. And so there might be some clarity, you know, confusion in that communication stream. So what's important is to follow up and make sure it's clear. So that's a follow-up conversation or a follow-up email. Like, can you let me know if you have any questions? Is this clear? you know, don't hold back. And this is where you build trust with your team. They'll be willing to admit that it's not clear or admit that they made a mistake if you have been the kind of leader that brings that stuff forward, that admits yourself when you've made a mistake. That's that's clear about that communication. So clarity is on you. You have to first make sure you're clear 
when you're setting expectations. And then you need to follow up to make sure that it's clear to everyone else. And I would say this is the thing I'm working on the most as a leader because I think I do tend to think that the way I convey information is clear. And it's not always received the way I think it's going to be. And that's human nature. We all have a different brain. We all interpret information in a different way. We all learn in different ways. Some people are visual learners and some people are, you know, learn by hearing things and other people have to write it down. So, you know, this is something that I really struggle with because I... I do do a lot of email follow-ups and I feel like I'll go back to those emails and read it. Like, isn't it clear? It feels really clear. But I didn't take that extra step to assure with them that they were receiving that information back. And this happened actually in like a personal situation recently and it really like knocked me back and, and made me feel kind of insecure about this clarity piece because I really felt so so confident that I was being clear. So... I was in a, a bit of a negotiation with um, with a. It's, it's a little complicated to even figure out how to talk about it, but basically, I was in this negotiation um, for like an estate settlement, and I was I was kind of acting on behalf of my dad, who was a part of an estate which had nothing to do with me. It was through his his wife that was not really connected to our family by marriage, so it was a second wife. And, um, and we were in this kind of estate conversation with the family. And I thought I was being really clear. I, I wanted to be transparent. I didn't want to hide anything. And so I, I wrote an email being really clear, like this is you know what I think you know, the expectation is and, and what we're hoping to see. And when I talked to the family members, they were like, that was not clear. <laughs> when I explained it in person, they were like, yeah, that was not the, basically the, the, what we received in that email. That was not how we interpreted that email and it really like was a blow because I felt like, oh, you know, I read it, I read it out loud, I read it to a couple of people. I felt like, oh, this is clear, right? And it wasn't interpreted that way. So I think it's really important to, you know, even sometimes the step before sending an email, because that feels so final, is to maybe get on that extra phone call, you know, and that's the assertiveness. Don't avoid the extra phone call to make sure there's clarity and then follow that up with an email. So, um, you know, everybody has their, their bit that they're working on. I think that's, that's mine. Um, so the next one is attentiveness. This one, I also feel kind of a personal um, connection to, I think this is my sweet spot, to be honest. I really pay attention to my teams and have in the past. I mean, I, I like to pretend like I have some big team around me right now. Eventually I will. Um, but in my career, this has been something... I do this with my clients. I mean, if I say my team, I guess I'm talking about my clients. But paying attention is not just being engaged, which is the next one. It's not just being present. Paying attention is really looking for clues. It's, it's watching the details. It's really having your eyes open to everything that's happening with this person. And that is important for a few reasons. When you're paying attention, you notice things. You notice clues about their performance. And 
this comes with all the other things we talked about, also comes with compassion. So if you notice that this person is maybe um, not standing up straight, that they're slumping their shoulders, that they're looking down all the time, right? They have kind of this defeated sense about them. That's an important thing to notice because they're not going to probably express this to you, their supervisor or even the CEO of the company. They're not going to come right out and say like, look, something's going on. I'm not feeling great. And it's showing up in their body language. But there's something really important about being willing to talk about that. So... This is a fine line too, and I think this could go a little bit too far in one direction, but I think there's a certain amount of intuition that comes with leadership, that comes with this attentiveness, that you're kind of, you're, you're really like looking one step deeper at this human that's in front of you. And this person who you care about, their growth and their trajectory and their potential. You want to see this person fulfill their potential and you're seeing things that are not showing you that they're moving in that direction. And when you bring this up in a way, now this is like a very subtle, you know, you have to be careful about the way you bring it up because personal things don't always have a place in the office. But I think getting to a place where there's a comfort level and there's a trust in understanding like where is this defeated, you know, feeling coming from, asking some of those leading questions or being willing to say like, hey, I noticed that you look a little down. I think that, you know, if you're careful about it and you're not using it in any judgmental manner, but you're just saying like, I'm observing something about you, I'm seeing it and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I tend to do that a lot because. I feel like I've honed in these instincts pretty well over the years. And most of the time I'm right, but I still want to be careful. I don't want to pretend like I know more than I do about this person that maybe, you know, I'm I'm being I'm stepping over bounds if if I go too far. So I like to preface it like, listen, correct me if I'm wrong or maybe I've got this wrong, but I'm noticing this and is it something you'd like to talk about? So What I think is important in this is that people feel seen and you are engaged, which is the next thing, but you're paying attention to your people and spending the time paying attention. And what I would say is this makes people feel more important, more empowered, more like someone's got their back. Someone's really looking out for them. And especially if you're pretty high up in the food chain, like if you're the CEO or you know the managing director or someone like pretty high up and you're paying this level of attention to people, it really makes a difference in their day and in the way they show up at work because they're like, oh, someone cares. Someone's paying attention. Like someone at the top cares, you know, and I hate to say at the top, but like, I, you know, I, I'm... It's not like I'm a huge fan of this hierarchy system, but if you do find yourself in a role where you know you have limited time, this extra piece of your leadership ability, which is paying attention and really picking up on those cues, this is one of the biggest ways that you can influence company culture. The biggest ways. Fuck the ping pong. <laughs> Fuck the kegs. Really, I mean, that is not where the heart of an organization lives. The heart of an organization lives with its people. 
And if you're not paying attention to those people and their needs and where they're at and how you can help them thrive, then your culture is going to disintegrate. It doesn't matter how many games and team building events and how many vacations you take people on because this is the nugget. This is the part that matters. People want to matter. People do matter. They are a whole person, a whole holistic, you know, living, thriving organism. They're not a robot. I think we've all realized this in the last couple of years that we can't ask people to show up without being a whole human. And we need to pay attention and we need to help them thrive. And we need to be the leader that can be objective and that can see what's going on not get in the pool with them and help them move forward. And sometimes when when personal stuff is coming to work, sometimes the best thing you can do is actually not to kind of dwell in that space. You want to be open to it and compassionate. But sometimes what people need is like something to keep them busy and thriving, something to give them um, more confidence that, okay, I'm going to take on this small project feel really tired because of the stuff that's going on at work, but this type of project gives me energy. This type of project brings inspiration. Like you, you have to remember that part of that holistic human is also like stimulating their brain and making them feel important and giving them reasons to, to bring opportunities for creating impact. That's going to help them thrive. And so sometimes it's also being, you know, being attentive but also giving them those opportunities. Like, look, you can go home if that feels right. But also, what if we just put you into this kind of more interesting project, you know, that would kind of help you get your mind off things. It's up to them. I mean, you need to leave that open-ended, but sometimes that's what they need. So being attentive and conversational about it will help you get to that place with them. Okay. The last piece is engaged. And again, these are all very woven into one another and they're all connected. But, um, but I think there are you know, these important pieces that you have to make sure that you're honing in these specific key traits. So engagement is similar to attentiveness, but where it's different is that you are like fully present in the moments that you spend with them. So attentiveness is being is paying attention, like looking for the cues. And engaged is like really giving them the feeling that you're there, that you're listening, that you're having this two-way conversation. It's not you talking at them. It's not them venting. It's this two-way engaged conversation where both parties are equally involved in it. And one of the things that used to irk me in my one-on-ones was, you know, often, well, often in my past, you know, in my senior level roles, I was reporting either to the CEO or the COO or the managing director. These people are busy. They have very little time. But when you're on the senior team, these, they have to make time for one-on-ones. And sometimes it's not where they want to be spending their time. So something that would happen to me is that they would come with their laptops to the one-on-one and it was clear. (laughs) They were not taking notes. They were writing emails and they were kind of half there and they weren't engaged and it wasn't an engaged conversation and it it felt really obligatory and I didn't really even know why I was there. It felt like a waste of time because I had a lot of things to do also. Um, And that really used to irk me because they weren't attentive and they weren't engaged. They were not paying attention. They had no idea what was going on with me. In fact, 
in one of my like, you know, really more senior roles where I helped the company get to a place where they're they were going to get acquired. I was a pretty key um, role in the business. When I gave my notice, they were completely floored. And they didn't see it coming. And I was so surprised. I was like, how could you not see it coming? Like, I've been pretty open about the things that I thought were issues, but I wasn't seeing any changes happening around these things that I felt were important. I'm really, I was really surprised that they were surprised. Um, but if they would have been a little bit more attentive and engaged in those one-on-one meetings and in the sessions with me, it would have been so clear. I mean, my team wasn't surprised. They were like, oh yeah, of course, makes perfect sense. Because I don't typically leave organizations because of, you know, not being happy with managers, you know. But I do try to influence some of the the process changes and implementation streams that I think are important because I've been typically in kind of operational facing roles. And it's really hard to put, you know, when you're in a role to where your whole job is basically to improve process and create efficiency, and you're getting blocked by senior leaders who just don't feel like changing the way they've been doing it forever, even if it's not working it's hard to be in a position where you're just kind of spinning your wheels and creating busy work for yourself because none of the actual true initiatives can move forward. So that's usually where I kind of hit my my uh, glass ceiling, so to speak. Um, so, but this like lack of engagement, I think is a reason why a lot of people leave jobs because they're like, my manager doesn't give a, you know, doesn't give a shit about who I am or what I'm doing or why. Like they're not engaged with me they're not, you know, they're not paying attention to what I'm doing or what I'm not doing. And there's no opportunity to really feel like I can move into a position where I'm thriving because they're not even connected. They don't understand what my obstacles are or what my strengths are. I don't feel like I'm seen. This is really common with people that come to me for career change. They're like, you know, I got to leave this job because my manager like just does not recognize the value that I'm creating in the organization and they don't recognize what my skills and talents are that aren't even being tapped into. So I feel, you know, a lot of people say, I feel like I'm not even using my brain at work. I'm just basically pushing paper around. And that's not good for the organization either because if you have people on staff that are just paper pushers, well, that's not efficient to your business either. So this engagement is really important just to understand where people are and to give them that sense of, I'm, I'm here, I'm in this with you. Like, this is a two-way street. This is a two-way conversation. So to recap, the five things that leaders need to have to be effective, the CACA plus E method is compassionate. They need to be compassionate. Assertive clear, attentive, engaged. So I would say if you're a leader, look at these five traits, see where you feel like your strengths are and what do you need to work on and take that to your supervisor in your next one-on-one. Like, look, you know, I want to strengthen my leadership skills. I need some help with this assertiveness piece. And guess what? By taking that to your leader, you are leading by example. You're being a good example of a leader because you're bringing it forward. You're being assertive in the things that you need to be a better leader. 
So I hope that was helpful. I, you know, I, I love this topic. I think that's why I was so excited about getting it out. And it, and to me, I was like, oh, boom, 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 boom. There it is. Um, I think if we could work on these things, I think if all businesses spent some time cultivating and developing these five traits in their leaders, I think the workplaces would shift tremendously. I think this would shift company culture widely if the people in management positions were taking it seriously, that it wasn't just a secondary part to their job, that they were moving into these leadership positions in the hope of being able to coach and mentor and guide teams effectively. Those teams will feel seen. There's going to be massive retention. People are going to be excited at work. Productivity is going to go up. It can all start here. So take that to the bank and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business for Humans. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and please leave a review so that other business owners can find the show. Learn more at practica.consulting.com.